Dub is considered one of the most recognizable genres in the world and along the way has become the touchstone framework for a flurry of contemporary urban genres such as dubstep, hip-hop, rap, jungle, grime and afrodub all encapsulated remixes of a primordial soundscape that emerged from the mind of a man whose legacy is remembered by few in these modern times. The king of the remix, the late, the great, King Tubby. Born Osborne Ruddock in Jamaica's capital city of Kingston, at 18 Holborn Street in 1941 in the crowded heart of downtown, before moving with his mother in 1950 to settle in a brand new bungalow on Drumley Avenue in a section of the expansive community later known as Waterhouse. Raised in a single-parent home, his childhood nickname was derived from his mother's surname, Tubman, shortened in Jamaican vernacular to Tubby. He was a tinkerer by nature and by his early teens had developed an avid curiosity in how radios work and his mother would nurture this interest by providing the young teen with radio repair correspondent courses, a move that not only kept him off the troubling streets of West Kingston but helped to drive his passion for electronics. He would later enter the Jamaican-based College of Arts, Science and Technology in 1957 to study electronics and by the time he graduated in 1959, Tubby had already established a radio repair shop in a small room at the back of his mother's home in Waterhouse and soon rummaged up a small sound system which he named a hometown hi-fi, playing R&B selections for a willing crowd in his Waterhouse community. The sound became noted for the clarity of its sound delivery, one which he achieved by separating the bass, the mid and treble frequencies to create a near wall of sound that allowed the audience not only the opportunity to hear with extreme clarity, but also literally feel the music. Throughout the 60s, Tubby's sound would earn him an indisputable reputation, one which also helped his repair shop thrive and by the time Daddy Roy joined the fledgling sound system in the late 60s, the collective would be known as King Tubby's Hi-Fi and a formidable opponent in Kingston's early sound system arena. Consummate innovator, Tubby Wood built himself a working radio transmitter sometime in 1961. Dubbed Tubby's radio station, or TRS for short, its signal reached as far as eastern Clarendon and into rural St. Andrew, unwittingly establishing Jamaica's first 24-7 pirate radio station which played ska and R&B until its heightened popularity in 1962 caught the ears of the local authorities who had no idea what TRS meant while in its fervent search for its operator. Tubby would quickly dismantle TRS and close his first chapter in Jamaican history as a local radio pioneer. 
His experience as an ace technician would catch the attention of legendary producer Duke Reed of Treasure Isle fame who outsourced the maintenance of his studio equipment to Toby, an intermittent interaction that would form the only real basis of their musical relationship. He was never an apprentice nor mentored by Duke Reed, contrary to historical factoids that have been consistently reiterated throughout time. He would begin his own sojourn in Kingston's Beat Street in 1968 when he purchased a two-track tape and second-hand acetate disc-cutting machine which he used to cut his own dubplate exclusives. Continually experimenting to push the boundaries of his equipment, he would integrate novelty sound effects such as watery delays and haunting reverbs that became a unique part of hometown hi-fi's version delivery elements eventually separating the sound system from the pack. Give him a chance to nice up the dance. Murder star. Murder star. Don't forget the bar. After the general elections of 1967, Edward Siaga would become a minister of the incoming government and offload his musical interest in world records to Byron Lee in 1968, which he renamed Dynamic Sound. A fire at that facility in 1969 would lead to the construction of a state-of-the-art studio in 1970, including the introduction of the island's first 16-track mixing console. Toby had by this time carved out a small recording studio in his already cramped radio repair shop. Armed with his second-hand two-track tape and a dub-cutting machine purchased from Cox & Dodd, he quickly became regarded as the first indie studio and made brisk business with it. My name is not Al Capone, but I can tip up them tones, you know, and I'm gonna crack a damn bone. Tell it to me, he's out with you. Stay away, he's out with you. Bonnie Lee, who was a rising independent producer at the time, used Dynamic Sound Studios to record his instrumentals and would at times utilize King Toby to add his Midas touch in post-production. The two had formed a budding friendship that showed its weight when Bonnie Lee acquired a near-obsolete four-track MCI mixing desk from Dynamic Sound Studios. Lee was a producer, not an engineer, and had no use for the board without a studio and thoughtfully gifted his friend the board, a move which not only served as the seminal launchpad for both their musical legacies, but would unwittingly change the dynamics of the Jamaican soundscape at a time when it was ripe for an evolutionary catalyst. Let's rewind the timeline to find out where that started. 
They called him Mr. Midnight back in the days. The man history notes as the creator of the version, Rudolph Ruddy Redwood was a jeweler by trade who had a love for music and a knack for picking new singles. By 1957, he would create a small record section in his jewelry store in Spanish Town, establishing an outlet for Studio One and Treasure Isle Records on the outskirts of Kingston, supported by his sound system, later known as the Supreme Sound Ruler. A decade later, Supreme was a respected feature in the dance hall and his moniker as Mr. Midnight was earned on his tendency to spin his selection of exclusives only at the stroke of midnight. Now as we have always said time and time again, reggae's history is a series of fortunate events and this was one such moment. It was the summer of 1967. Treasure Isle had just released the Paragon's LP on the beach and the title track was the swing of the summer. Ruddy Mr. Midnight Redwood would rush to Treasure Isle to cut an exclusive of the track as it had not yet been released on 7-inch record. The coincidental omission of the vocal track by Treasure Isle studio engineer Byron Smith during the rush to dub cutting session left only the instrumental version of the single on the plate and Ruddy, pressured for time, decided to make the best of it. He would play the original song first, carefully timing the instrumental on a second turntable and then took his time to bring the volume down to allow the crowd to sing along on the instrumental. The technique was an instant hit with the crowd and the B-side version as we know it today was born on that night. But it would take the Midas touch of Tubby to finally flip the record. Now let's fast forward back to the timeline. By the dawn of the 70s, King Tubby's rough and ready studio setup in Waterhouse had quickly become a home base for a collective of Jamaica's most innovative producers of the era. Niney the Observer, Lee Scratch Perry, Keith Hudson, Yabba Yu, and Augustus Pablo, and along the way his neighbor and childhood friend Lloyd Jamie James was taking notes and learning to make his mark, which he would do by the end of the decade as King Jamie. In the early days, King Tubby never recorded vocals in his makeshift studio. Always cognizant of sound quality and the pokiness of his outfit, he was more comfortable remixing instrumentals to which he always applied an ever-evolving signature sound that revolutionized the B-side of a 7-inch vinyl record. His Wizard of Oz-like approach broke the traditional paradigms of sound effects use such as delay and reverb to create an entirely new derivative work of the original single, technically a remixed version that ranged from a spectrum of minimalistic undertones to expansive walls of sound depending on the musical alchemist. Though King Tubby's studio was too small for a full band, he was often prodded by his musical lab partner Bonnie Lee to voice tracks over rhythms. He would attempt a cautious experiment with a then small-time toaster named Big Joe on a cut of Harry Modi's Black Stick Rock version in 1972. Now here comes another golden inspiration. This is for the young folk generation. Here comes 
after Bonnie Lee would cut the first commercially released dub single from King Toby on the back of a very unassuming release Ronnie Davids 1972 7 inch release Lady in Love with Toby dropping the remixed Lady in Dub version on the B-side The single is marked as his first commercial dub release as both he and Lee tested the waters of this new soundscape. He would follow up that very year with Glenn Brown's King Toby at the Controls, a release noted as the first single to list a mixing engineer as a featured performer on a split sheet in global music history. But unknown to many, it was not the few releases of dubs in Jamaica that made King Toby a hit, but the influx of B-side releases that he cut for the UK market which became massive hits across the pond. One of his earliest tracks with this notoriety is 1972's Toby in Full Swing, featuring the duo Lloyd Young and Kerry Wildman Johnson cut for Prince Tony's high school records and later distributed in the UK by Trojans Attack Imprint. Out of all the stations, these stations supply all the popular stations with popular music. Crazy, 
By the mid-70s, Toby would become the standard bearer by using 10-inch and 12-inch acetate plates to deliver his releases as the larger grooves of the record allowed for a wider dynamic range of clarity. This technique heralded the era of the disco mix with the A-side vocal track immediately followed by the B-side remixed version on the same side of the record. The technique would become the framework for the extended remix, rapidly influencing the post-production outputs of the punk, rock, disco, funk and hip-hop arenas by the turn of the decade. The 1980s election would, however, change the face of Jamaica as we know it. Cousins became warring factions and empathy left the social construct. Waterhouse would become a political flashpoint and earn the ominous reputation that still stands as we speak. Nobody was spared from the political victimization of the times and when the dust settled and Bob Marley was buried in 1981, the musical ecosystem had begun reflecting a darker undertone. Toasters had evolved from gimmicky side acts to lyrical weapons but the social abstracts that influenced these incoming talents would set the stage for a different dimension of musical escapism and in the process create the new echo chamber called the dance hall. King Jammy would return to Jamaica after a short sojourn in Canada to set up his own studio in Waterhouse where he would reunite with his mentor on King Toby's first ever studio collab release Zambia in 1976, the second record to ever be released on the now legendary Jammy's imprint. As the decade came to a close, King Toby would work closely with Carlton Patterson's black and white label and Mikey Dredd's Dread at the Control imprint leaving his younger protégés Jammy, Peter Chemist and the scientist to carve out dub releases for his lesser known acts as he tried to balance his massive workload. However, with the advent of the digital era of the 80s and the death of disco, Moore's Law would inadvertently change the context of Jamaica's musical soundscape and signal a changing of the guards. Like his mentor before him, King Jammy was not only an ace technician but also an innovative electronics engineer with a penchant for emerging digital technology. He would embrace the emerging Rubberdub soundscape and his UK releases would inspire a new generation of talent with Peter King noted as the first UK MC of this nature. Jammy would find his own ground in 1985 with the release of Jamaica's first digital rhythm, the Slengteng, catapulting the man to the forefront of the burgeoning dancehall subgenre and signaled a heralding of new musical royalty, the indomitable King Jammy. Mm -hmm. 
Influenced by the success of his protege and under his very advisement, King Toby would construct a digital studio, but recognizing the quick shift of digital technology would take a back seat while giving a watchful eye to his new cadre of protégés, including the likes of Pigo, Fatman, Tomo, and Phantom. The last time you come, I ask you if you come to Tately, and you didn't answer. But you are posing a people all close. Hold this under your nose. Cut on. Come and Dance Hall by this time had evolved into its own soundscape, quickly overshadowing dub and leaving it into the hands of UK evangelists such as Guyanese-born Mad Professor, the Bayesian-born Dennis Bovell and Brit Adrian Sherwood. Back home, Toby had turned his focus to incubating new talent through his firehouse and waterhouse imprints working primarily with artists from his community home base throughout the latter part of the 80s. Artists such as Wayne Palmer, King Everald, Conroy Smith and Anthony Red Rose would carve out respectable hits for the King, but the truth is they were never as noteworthy as his digital successor, King Jammy. In 1989, just eight days after his 48th birthday, King Toby was gunned down in front of his Duhaney Park home, a relatively short drive from his Waterhouse studio. It is alleged that it occurred during a robbery attempt as several personal items, including his personal firearm, were never recovered at the scene of the crime. The untimely passing of King Toby to this very day is inconsolable, and though King Jami maintained a formidable presence, he has never missed an opportunity to mourn and memorialize his predecessor. The creator of the remix and the penultimate King at the Controls, the name King Toby is barely whispered these days in the pantheons of music. But history has etched his name as one of the very few Jamaican visionaries whose innovations helped shape the soundscape of modern music as we know it in unprecedented ways, carving out an omnipresent influence on the fundamental framework of contemporary mainstream music that continues to reverb his name in the annals of history and time as a, as legend, a legend of reggae. Of reggae. Ready, ready. 